Welcome to the show. This is Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. That would be Mr. Briscoe, whichever direction he is. I am Bradshaw, and we've got a groundbreaking trailblazer and by far the best thing to ever come out of Oklahoma and the best looking thing to ever be named Mike by far too. Mike McGurk, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thank you for the invitation. Isn't this great? And I look, I, before we go any further, um, I might be a little better looking than JR, but there's a couple of us that came out of <laughs> Oklahoma, but I'm going to hold the female title, okay? <laughs> That's for sure. And that Jim Ross, he can't hold a candle to you, Mike. Come on now. We, John uh-oh, and I both uh-oh, got uh-oh, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh. Hey, Briscoe, look out, look out. <laughs> hey, little you know, there, I, There's not a time that I can't go by Blackwell, Oklahoma, you know, and also I'm going to tell a little story before we get started about Briscoe's. Um, my dad and my mom were in the car and we'd be coming from a, a cattle sale because of my dad's ranch and we got stopped. My mom's driving, of course. And of course my dad had been sleeping in the back and the whole story, every time any kind of officer pulled us over, my dad would rise out of the back and of course, immediately he would turn the heat on my mother and he would, I, is this a daytime or nighttime show? But I don't know. But anyway, he would say, God dang it. You know, can't you see I'm blind here? And he says, I've got this son of a gun up here driving for me that that obviously doesn't observe the speed limit. And he goes, where in the hell are we anyway, officer? And he'd say, well, you're just so you're just outside of Blackwell. There went the Briscoe stories right there. And before you know it, we had to promise a Briscoe brother's picture to be sent to him so we could scoot. So, yes, uh, thank you for that. <laughs> well, I'm glad I got you out of that ticket, but let, let, let me jump in there a quick one. I, a couple of years ago, back, back before all this crap hit, 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 hit our country, the last WrestleMania that I was at, the Hall of Fame, and uh and so I kept watching. I was sitting there at the end of the front row, and I kept glancing over, and I kept seeing Linda McMahon, Lynn Bennett over looking at me, saying, you know, like, like afterwards, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, what the hell did I do this time? You know, where yeah. Linda McMahon during the damn uh, Hall of Fame ceremony making a point that I see her telling me that she needs to talk to me afterwards tonight. And I'm sitting there, I'm going through my mind, you know, what, what did I do? What did I say? Y'all, because I'm a loud mouth. I'd say things I shouldn't say sometimes. And I get a little crazy when I'm around JBL and that, that, that beverages start flowing. So I'm running through the week, you know, trying to figure it out. I know I didn't do anything wrong. So here it comes. The last speech is over with. And all of a sudden I look and here comes Linda McMahon almost trotting down to say hello to me. She said, oh, I've been wanting to see you. I've been wanting to see you. And at that time, she was serving our country as a small business administrator. So right. she was in Oklahoma after one of the storms. And she was in Oklahoma and happened to go through Blackwell. Well, Blackwell, the Army there has the museum. And it says, drop in and see Blackwell's own Briscoe Brothers. She made this whole damn caravan of government people turn around and go into this armory and see this little display of the Briscoe Brothers, hometown, Blackwell, Oklahoma. And I was in there, and she couldn't wait to tell me all the stories that she had about me when I was seven, eight years old. But I thought that was so funny. Here's Atlanta, you know, one of the most important people in in the country, you know. 
wanted to tell me that she'd been to Blackwell and been to the Museum Hall of Fame where she saw Jack and I's picture. So, Isn't you know, great? thank you, Blackwell. <laughs> I know, I know. And I even, you know, all those little towns, Perry, you know, and God rest his soul, man. I, you know, um, uh, uh, Danny, you know, you, did, you well, can't. We're going to get in some of the Hodge stories there. So, uh, but, you know, wow. uh, it, 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 it's so remarkable. All, all like, like you say, all those little towns there, they have so many heroes and everything. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like small town USA. I mean, you drive through any of them. You know, even where John from John John's in the in the uh, Abilene Christian Hall of Football Hall of Fame. So yeah. we're 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 sitting here with with Hall of Fame royalty with with John there. So, but it's not like Blackwell, Oklahoma. You know? No, that's right. That's Thank right. Goodness. Nothing can compare. No. You know one thing that why they called... didn't go ahead. Go ahead. Now, why they didn't make Blackwell the capital of Oklahoma, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. It's <laughs> well, it was the first place. It was the first place that those damn cheating Sooners went to. Imagine that <laughs> you, name, you name your school the Sooners. Now, what are the Sooners? They're the damn cheaters, right, John? You That's right. That. I completely agree. Yes. You know, you know what the Sooner is, right? They're those damn people that went before the boom, you know? The boom. Right. That's and they right. cheated. They went down and stole all the land, but they went to Norman, thank goodness. They didn't stop for the good land. <laughs> they That's were so exactly greedy. Right. They wanted to go all the way down there. But, but anyway. Well, they can um, stay down there where the tornadoes are. You know, they, yeah, exactly. they, they, that's, that's a good place for them. Well, one thing we all have in common here is we all dislike OU. So you guys are from the good part of Oklahoma, and you are just like us in Texas. We dislike that one school from Norman, Oklahoma. So don't even try to tell me, Gerald Briscoe, you don't root against OU like I do. Uh, you know uh, well, let I'm me tell you. <laughs> anytime that OSU is playing anybody, you know, and I'm or OU, I'm for Texas. And you can just know that I'm rooting for Texas. So, you know, it's never, it's, it's never for OU. So never yeah, an issue. I, I am for Texas. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, um, it is just a pleasure to be on your all show and we're going to have some fun. And I know you're going to spark some things just like you were talking about Blackwell and the people that came out of Oklahoma and we can't forget, um, you know, I've got a picture here that hangs on the wall of shame, but this is a wall of fame for me. It's um, where, you know, um, whose dad's wrestling coach was. Do you, you know that? You remember who coach daddy, had, you know, when people say, well, when did your dad graduate? Well, I was a late child. You know, I came <laughs> even later sometimes, but he graduated in 33 so um, his coach, you know, and that was the only sport that would take my father because he had he was born with two eyes and then was, um, you know, he had an eye kicked out um, by an accident where a kid was swinging. What I understand was swinging. You grab these rings and then you would swing out over the swimming pool and the kid got scared. And my dad was up on the diving board and had his head turned. And it was just one of those freak accident. He was a poor old boy. So back in the day, you know, let's see, daddy was born 1910. So this might've been the twenties. Um, it, that was the only thing they could do is take it out. So he, he had to be pretty tough for that. And the only sport that would take him was wrestling. So that's how he met, um, earlier we were talking about a, a, a fellow that, um, had wrestled with my dad and had gone to school with him back in the days of central high school was Jack Gott. 
And um, so anyway, my dad went on to A&M OSU and that's how he, uh, uh, he started his wrestling career. He didn't mean to keep wrestling because his love was journalism. And, you know, he had a, I majored in journalism with a minor in psychology. I was, I was doomed from the start with that kind of, I was like, oh God. But, you know, he could, he could write, he could, you know, he wrote all the stories, the bios, the color of the guys, but he could sit down at the, at the typewriter. And, and I know anybody ever walked into his office and he was at there at that typewriter, that journalism awesome. mind was kicking in. Cause he, I witnessed he about myself in the, uh, in the old Canes ballroom, that office he had in the Canes area that a typewriter sits right at his desk. Well, first time I walked in there was with Jack and I noticed that typewriter there. And, you know, I mean, we all took typing. You, you learned, a, you learned the keys, but you know, to do that professionally, basically what he was doing, because he was doing the write-up for the newspapers and everything. I said, Jack, why and the hell have you got a new uh, typewriter? And he writes everything. Like, wow. And I, I, the other night I was I was looking up a bio and I noticed Danny Williams. Now, Danny Williams, as you and I know, and John don't know this, but Danny Williams was one of the most famous TV personalities ever in the history of Oklahoma TV. But he later became one of the most popular DJs in the history of Oklahoma. And his broadcast partner, do you remember who his broadcast partner was on radio? Jim Weaver. No, who was it? Jim Weaver. Oh, my uh, Del Weaver. Del Weaver, who is Jim Weaver, who is Scandor Akbar's real name, was, was Danny Williams' uh, morning drive partner, John, on radio back when we were kids. I had no Watch idea. Watch out for flying chairs. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, that was a, that was how he would close the show. Is watch out for flying chairs. But he, you know, he he also looked at it from a fan's perspective. You know, not only was he doing the job, but he was a fan and and loved wrestling. But he was yeah. You could yeah. tell in this interview he was a huge fan. I mean, he even signed signed off with with putting the wrestlers over. You know, it, it's not as not an f word as you think it is, and it's not as real as you think it is. But these guys. They're the real deal. They're the real athletes and everything. But what what a what a deal. But your dad, back to your dad, your dad was a national champion back in 32, I believe it was, or 33, yes. something like that. Yep. 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 And um uh, three times. Even, you know, he and to talk about, oh, some of these pictures are great where you know he wrestled different classes, had to. And yeah, he had to, your dad was State. only like a middleweight. He was 140 pounds when he first started, I think, in, in, in college. Then he went, went up to 177, I believe it was. But right. that's quite right. a jump for those middleweight guys and to win the national tournament and be All-American all those years, you know, or something. But your dad, uh, eventually, when he got out of college, did you, did you ever talk to your dad how he made that switch over? Did he, was it just during that time where he needed money and then journalism wasn't, wasn't paying? Do, and do, they, you know the, do you know the story? No, I don't. All well, right. I'm going to hear it right now. My God, you're going to hear it from the kid, as I was affectionately known as, you know, kid. What I was, uh, what he was very proud of, and we're going to bring up uh, a man that had come into Tulsa and he was promoting, he was from Canada. His name was Sam Avey. Well, Sam had come in from Canada and he was investing in, in Tulsa. He not only started a bank, but he also, um, he started theater. He just, my fans. Um, 
They're barking at Jerry. Short man syndrome. I got a corgi. I, you know, they don't realize. Hey, that's enough. Yeah. Oh, wow. So anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. They roll their eyes like, oh yeah. I live with them. They don't live with me. So I live yeah. with them. Anyway, Sam had invested. He started theater and just just a lot of other things. But the one thing that he did notice is he hadn't noticed my father's wrestling career. So he, along with this other ideas of the things that he was doing and investing was promotion. He was a promoter of all sorts. But he took an interest in my dad's career and had followed where my dad, after my dad graduated, he immediately went to work for Tulsa World which he's also involved, which was a newspaper, still is, I believe, of ours. We had Tulsa World and, and Tribune, and now we just have one barely in print. But um, he went right into the journalism background, but he loved sports. So he was at the sports desk. So he was an assistant, and um, that was his love. And that's where he was when Sam maybe approached him, and he said, um, well, tell me, what you know, what, what are you making? This is He told him of his idea and that he had watched his career. And obviously the coach that he had. And uh, uh, so my dad told him, he says, well, I'm making $25 a month. Okay. This is so 1930. This would be about 33, 34. And uh, Sam said, well, how would you like to make $25 a week? Boom. He's gone. And, and that was what, that's what elevated him to leave because he was already married, which I didn't, you know, those things come. He had been married probably about two years um, he hadn't, there wasn't a child on the way, but he was married. So, um, again, he had to make a living and this is why he put himself through college and, um, uh, and, you know, even with his fraternity, um, he was, he, he just made his own way and, uh, one eye didn't stop him. And, uh, so I, I, you know, the things that have always got to me, if, if he always told me to diversify, to be able to do other things, be able to, you know, not be stuck in one position, be able to move on from that because things happen, life happens. And apparently, you know, uh, he, everything that he did, he had um, a steel trap of a mind that of, of, of perseverance and determined. He, he was determined to excel at anything that he did. So he did this and um, it and it was also going to take him traveling, which obviously we all know, um, we all know it, it wreaks havoc on a marriage and so especially something that is so new. And those days you didn't fly. You know, those were tough old dirt roads. He would tell me, you know, he was a he was a, a bad guy in Texas, John. They did not like my father in Texas. I, I had some, back when I was announcing, there would be people that would come up, you know, old timers, and they'd go, McGurk, um, would you happen to be rela related to dirty old, <laughs> you call me dirty, <laughs> dirty old McGurk? And I was like, oh, uh, yes, uh, yeah. And I knew he was talking about because my dad had told me about the stories. And, um, or St. Louis, you know, he wasn't, uh, uh, but he, you know, he, he was a heel <clears throat> in Texas, a bad guy, or I could say, but that's how it started was um, uh, how his wrestling career progressed. And it took him out to California. And, you know, um, he was out there when they, they were worried that the Japs were going to, um, the Japanese, I got to be careful. I'm not, please, I'm, if I, I'm not going to, I don't want to any, by any way, short side or, um, say anything bad, but the Japanese uh, at the time, they were worried about them bombing California. 
So that was the only thing that probably left my dad um, leaving California. I've got pictures of him on the set um, with various movie stars. He's got a headlock on Jack Benny. Like, I kind of, this is kind of cool. Um, he was a pretty good looking guy. Too. We're getting history right here, Don. Yes, we are. Like here, I don't know if you can, if that, if you can, if that, can you see that? Is oh, that wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's oh. just one of them. And I think you can see it pretty good. Yeah. What year was um, that again? Like 33, 34, somewhere in there? Oh, this would be probably about 37. Yeah. Wow. I think it's 37. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty cool. And I've got, um, he's on the set here. With Gene Autry, which he, you know, Gene was a friend of his even later on in the years when Gene would come to um, to Tulsa, he would always give dad a call. And um, they used to have these Jubilee Diamond dinners. And my dad and mom went to see Gene. So, you know, again, I had no idea. Gene Autry, oh, okay, some old cowboy, you know. God, I could kill Well, Gene Autry was from Oklahoma, uh, right? Right down the road. Yeah, yeah. Like around Sapapa. Yeah, he was... Yeah, uh, they're, they're, they were, there's Gene Autry, Oklahoma now, I believe. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. And, and, but you know, and I keep on saying, and I was... I don't know if people can call in, but anyway, it, Coach Gallagher was who my dad trained under. And I have a picture also of him in the ring, my dad's first uh, um, title match. And Coach Gallagher's there in the ring because, by you know, my dad didn't have a relationship with his father. Um, it, he drifted on, and it was basically my mom, my my grandmother, my dad's mom, that raised three girls and one boy, and um, so that was where my dad came in. So yeah, he 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 had to be tough. He had two older sisters, and wow. um, <laughs> and basically, John and I both know that too. <laughs> You know that feeling? Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. But I didn't mean to take up the hour, but I get kind of wound up and excited oh. about not only is he, um, but so back in the day, like what we have evolved into now um, is superstardom. And that's what they were. You, you know, you didn't go to a wrestling match unless you were dressed and you were somebody. And, you know, because people didn't have money back then they were still coming out of 29 and you know it, it was you know and of course he he was uh chided a lot kidded he was an okie you know and the okie term comes from us leaving oklahoma and headed towards the promised land in california but yeah in california that, yeah california just had all the influx of the okie from the uh the, the dust bowl and everything so yeah but that, that's amazing how your dad and that and that era and that time when when transportation was basically getting on a train and and taking three or four days to get to your destination but your dad was a huge star in california and oklahoma and missouri and and all those midwest towns but he had to make all those trips by train or bus. I mean, that had to be, you know, like, an injury. like you say, it takes a toll on your family life too. Cause you're, oh, you're yeah. you talk about, you know, we all bitch about us spending time on the road. We got to make a two hour road trip. Well, hell they were making four day road trips on a damn train back in those days. Well, you know, that dust storm was caused by Texas. So anyway, <laughs> I knew it would start. I knew it would start. I get on here with two Okies and I knew it would start. I need Hanson back is what I need. 
<laughs> well, all those blowhards down there in the south, you know, they just started blowing all that dust, all that dust from uh, from from Texas came up to Oklahoma there. But uh, but it's we'll forgive them. We'll, we'll forgive them for that. But your dad, your dad was not only so. Uh, let's move forward a little bit. So him and Sam became friends at the Tulsa World there as journalists. So Sam was in the promotion. So your dad at that time uh, was a wrestler. How did he, how did, how did the, I, I read where Sam wanted to go back into the banking business and he had the promotion there, but he was not all only promoting wrestling. He was promoting everything, which your dad did also from Hollywood shows to uh, musicals to everything. So Sam stepped aside yeah. and then Leroy just came in, right? Well, I think too, because of the accident, um, you know, here, my dad is, and he told me, he said, when that happened, um, the, the first uh, yeah, accident he, or the second accident where he lost. This is the second, it was right. He had just finished the championship match. Um, okay. he was in and Bob Rock. Clay, Bob Clay was, is that correct? Bob Clay was driving him to a restaurant or somewhere, a hotel or somewhere. They had, yeah, they had just left the restaurant. So after hours and they had to go to Conway, Arkansas, because, a lot of these little towns in Arkansas, as you know, are dry counties. So, and after hours, so they had gone to a place after hours and um, they were leaving and, uh, and we're talking again, you don't have four lane highways. You've got two lane and the headlights ran smack dab into the car that my dad was dry, was riding in. And he said, he can remember that uh, he pulling the glass out because he always wore his sunglasses to protect that, uh, you know, his, his other eye. But he he remembers it went through his only good eye, that the, the the glasses never even broke on his bad eye. And he said, I can remember pulling the glass out. But he said that it was like a curtain closing over a period of about a year time. So he knew it wasn't good. But and they just didn't have the technology. I have a, a article where he and his wife at that time um, we're boarding an airplane and I just found this stuff. It's fascinating where he has, was going to Johns Hopkins hospital to try to save his sight. And it so, so that was, the, you know, you just hit that and I God, I'm not even born then, but you, can you imagine the hope that he had and the fear and, you know, my career, um, because he, like I said, he was right in the middle of his career and doing very well. And, um, and you have a whole year of, and he said he could stand back at his um, back window. And he said, it was, he said, kid, it's like a curtain closing. And he said, it was like that for his life. He thought, my God, my life is closing in on me. And Sam being the promoter that he was and starting a bank, um, F and M it was farmers and merchants. And like I said, there was, he even had bought a building that um, burned around the time. I think my dad was, could still see, I'm not sure, but it was called the Coliseum. And I'm sure you probably heard about it, but they held, they had circuses. They had every, anything that came into town. Sam Avey owned this building and that was the venue. So, because we didn't have these, you know, we didn't have these buildings back then. Um, so I think a lot of it because Sam, you know, dad had a little bit of Memphis with a guy named, oh my gosh, uh, Les Wolf. And of course, Nick Goulas comes in there somewhere. But um, he let go of Memphis. But I do know that before I was born that because um, he used to talk about the Elvis Presley story. And I'm like, oh, my God, because I I love Elvis. I named my daughter Priscilla. Does that tell you something? <laughs> so, 
Um, but he used to tell me, he said that he would, that Elvis would come to the, the matches because they were, his parents were huge wrestling fans. And his uncle, Vester, was a very good friend of uh, Sputnik and Sputnik and Rowe. So um, he would come with the guitar and want to sing during the break. And my dad's, he goes, oh, I'd tell him, go away, boy, go away. And I'd be like, oh, my God, you didn't. Oh, my God, <laughs> you didn't. And I said, tell me you just let him play a couple of times, you know. And he goes, oh, maybe a couple of times. He goes, but I didn't see, you know. He goes, I, he goes obviously, you know. But he knew of Colonel Parker because Colonel Parker was an old uh, drift around kind of, he was a carny. He was a promoter and, you know, he used to handle uh, Minnie Pearl and everybody knew uh, if you were, you know, in the wrestling business or in that kind of profession that he was, he had been in the wrestling business too. Colonel Parker was somebody that, um, you know, was, got lucky. He got lucky. And um, got the right uh, talent. <laughs> you bet. Uh, thanks, dad. But anyway, um, <laughs> I can remember the day that Elvis died. We were down there at the wrestling office, boo-hooing and crying. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> I can't believe it. But he, it was thanks to my dad that I was able to go and see Elvis all the many times. And my mom, my mom turned me on to him. Uh, it began with uh, Viva Las Vegas. And I was hooked. Still am. I've got serious radio is only on Elvis radio. Done. <laughs> you know that uh, Jerry the King Lawler almost had a wrestling match with Elvis. In fact, before Elvis died, they were working on it. They were going to have it. It was going to be judo versus wrestler, and it was going to be the king versus the king. It was going to be Jerry Lawler versus Elvis. They had worked it all out. He worked it all out with his dad, and then Elvis goes off to Vegas. And, you know, part of the story, you know, part of what they were going to work toward, and then Elvis passed away unexpectedly. But Elvis would have been in the wrestling ring with Jerry Lawler. <laughs> and, and, of course, Lawler probably would have put himself over. Of course. Oh. <laughs> I love yeah. I'm just kidding. No, but we can kid all we want, but we know we know. <laughs> we know the king. We know the king. Before, you know, you talk about it, it was right in the middle of his career. It wasn't just right in the middle of his career. He was champion. He he was recognized as the longest male champion, uh, I guess in wrestling history, certainly NWA history. He held it uh, 10 years, seven months, and 19 days uh from 1939 to 50. And he didn't lose it. He, he had to advocate it because of the injury. I mean, he was an incredible, one of the greatest champions of all time. Well, let me tell you this, um, and Jerry and JBL, um, I even heard it from Lufez of what my dad was like in the ring. And, uh, and it was down in Houston. And, I mean, uh, my dad said, hey, and, and Lou said it, he said, your dad straightened me right out in the middle of the ring. He was like, he tried that one more time again. And he said, you won't be walking out of here. And, and he knew it. I mean, my dad, the agility that he had, um, you know, he could move around more than like the heavyweight, but he, he, it was all about leverage. And he would always tell me that. And I, Hey, years later, and you know that Jerry, I, I would see my father out in the ring working out with the guys you know, well, I, broke in, I broke in and 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 in the late uh, late sixties, and Jack broke in in nineteen sixty five, and uh, I remember going over to Tulsa with Jack, and at the time we had he had the office at the Canes Ballroom, yep. where all the country and western stars play, and they had a ring set up in there during the weekend, they'd take it down on the weekend so the country music fans could all come in and then do do their party in there, but. I remember when Jack was breaking in and Leroy couldn't control himself because here's another national champion you know, that he recruited. 
I mean, Leroy was known. I mean, little known fact, Leroy, Dick Cutton, one of the greatest uh, NWA heavyweight champions. It was a three-time NCAA champion in Oklahoma State. Leroy broke him into the business. And Dick is the one who went around, John, with a $100 bill glued to a tape to his chest. Anybody can beat me gets this. You know, of course, that $100 bill never left his chest. There. But uh, Leroy was standing at the step there just dying to get into the ring with Jack because, you know, he recruited another national champion. And, sure. uh, and so, uh, and I go up and I put my arm around Leroy, but I could just feel those muscles, even at an advanced age as, as your dad was at that time. He was a heck of a man and a heck of a promoter. And John, this is a guy, and it's no, I mean, you hear this story and you got, how in the hell does this happen? Mike can probably back this up. Leroy was totally blind, sitting at a commentator's desk in, in at Oklahoma City TV, WKY Channel 4. Danny Williams was his broadcast partner, and Leroy as a color analyst, and Leroy could tell you what bump the guys were taking just from the sound of the ring. True or not, uh, Mike? Absolutely. Absolutely. And people just don't. And I said he was a color commentator, which always you fill in. You know, how do you fill in if you're not absolutely looking at that? And he was he knew he he he, he loved the business. And even to go on later, the love of the boys, you know that. And and I know there's been some things said, and you know um, I, the good things are what I I focus on. Of we all make mistakes, we all do this. We in the career and some stories, like I've said a lot of times, I'm I'm glad they can sell books, <laughs> and I'm glad that they can you know um, elaborate on the truth. I'm still not tarnished because I know the truth and I love my dad. And it doesn't change anything. And if, if anybody ever wanted to know the truth, I I had no idea uh, of the fortitude that he taught me. That's inbred, um, and I think that was a that was kind of hard on me because. Um, and it's not about me, but I mean, to be in the shadow of somebody that overcame so much and was good at everything that he did. And, um, you know, how do you how do you how do you compare or how do you rise to um, get a little bit of respect from him? And that's the reason why And I love the business. You know, it took me a little bit in you know, high school because I defended this thing from the time I was a little girl. Not only is my name Mike, but. You know, um, and your dad's a wrestling promoter and we all know it's fake. And, you know, that's the school I went to was Edison. And so I went to school with, you know, kids that were from attorneys and doctors. And I was, you know, I was the freak show. I was the circus (laughs) because but I yet I um, I was always it is not. And you'd go into the room and you'd say it's fake. So it makes you a little tough. Not only that. I didn't go by Mike all the time because my middle name's Kathleen. It's Michael Kathleen. And I probably disappointed my dad a little bit, but he took care of that because any time that any of those friends of mine come over to the house, it'd be, hey, Mike, do this, do that. And they go, Kathleen, why calling you Mike? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But it's I embraced my name as I got older is because that is my name. And I know why is he wanted he couldn't. He couldn't look out for me the way that he wanted to um, and given me the name. And I think alcohol might have had a little bit to do with it because I have an article, another article. Um, I was supposed to have been born March 17th, St. Patty's Day, full bore, you know, Irish. 
but uh, the, obstetric, the, the doctor had to go somewhere. He had to go on a trip. So he called my mom and he's like, hey, we're taking the baby. So my mom goes in the 16th of March and I think around 2 a.m. Here I, I'm on the scene. Daddy doesn't come home for three days. He's on the road. Okay. All right. And, and um, the thing is, and I have a newspaper, newspaper article that says third day, McGurk baby still unnamed. So <laughs> I was supposed to be Timothy Michael um, and Pat was, you know, they were going to do something. Uh, uh, Sam Aby had a daughter um, that was named Pat. So they thought well, about Pat and said, no, that's not going to work. And dad's middle name is Michael. But when he was out in California, he met and was friends with the Barrymores, the John Barrymore and Ethel Barrymore. Well, they had a, a, a daughter. There was a sister that was named Michael. And my dad held on to that. And then he said, I got it's Michael and my mom got Kathleen. So but the other thing of it, whenever I was in trouble, it was Michael Jane. And I'm like, why? Where did Jane come in? at it? Like, well, what's too when they're mad at me, they couldn't go Michael Kathleen. They go, Michael Jane, get over there. So I was like, I never knew who I was. <laughs> was your dad? Uh, what, what but he? no, Mike was, um, I, I absolutely, uh, you know, I feel for him so many times where, you know, he would ask the guys, <clears throat> excuse me, um, he'll, or he would say, the guys tell me um, that you're a, you're a, you're a tall girl. Um, the guys tell me um, that you're, that you're, that you're pretty stout. And I, you know, and he'd say, come here. And that was what he did with all the wrestlers. You know, he used to get Dick Murdoch and he'd go, good God, skinny legged, big belly. <laughs> Murdoch, you're not an athlete. You know, it was and this, it was John, like, there was always this when Leroy is around you on, on your body. From your shoulders, oh. your neck, your ear, down to your fingers. He was always squeezing to find out, you know, if you'd been working out and feel the, your body tone and fit, just try to visualize what you look like. And right. he had Get a, a pretty damn picture. good sense of feel, did he, Mike? Hey, hey oh, Black, Black Bart used to say, Dick Murdoch, you look like an upside down light bulb. I know. <laughs> <laughs> big head, that big belly, little bit skinny arms. Tough, yeah. as, tough as he could be, though. But Dick had a terrible body. Oh, he did and was tough and a great worker, you know, and, and so good to my dad. He, he, he told him not only is he not a wrestler, but he can't pick out good horses. My dad, he gave him dad a horse that, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so Mike, we, we, we went through, we went through uh, Dick Hutton, who was a huge star who uh, ended up NWA champion, but your dad wasn't finished there recruiting guy. Then along come the Oklahoma hero. The Oklahoma, probably the greatest athlete ever come out of Oklahoma, the great legendary Danny Hodge out of another small town, Perry, Oklahoma. Well, how aware you were you at that time of Danny and, and his accomplishments and what to go on? Well, uh, I wasn't old enough to really know. I just knew later on that he was kind of bumping around in Kansas and, you know, he was um, golden gloves. I think he was doing, you know, right. some boxing. Right. And um, I don't know how the meeting, but I think Red Berry, Wild Red Berry. Wild Red Berry. You bet. Um, with the two of them getting together. And, um, you know, he, Danny was such a soft-spoken, you know, he was very soft-spoken. But, you know, he could come right up to you and whisper to you and say, I can tell you, I, if you don't do this, 
I will tear your shoulder off. And <laughs> and he could, you know, there was there was no doubt that. Uh, and my dad, I, I've never I never saw a man cry like that man did when my when my when my dad passed away. I mean, he, he was inconsolable, inconsolable, totally. But and my dad, you know, I don't think that he ever realized the love that Danny had for him. But there was, you know, and that's the thing that I can get into that. And, and I Jack knew it. Danny came and then there was Jack. And it just almost seemed because Jack, you know, your brother, you, I mean, what a star, what, what a what an athlete, what a guy, it, you guys, both of you. And then, you know, I remember you coming along. Mm-hmm. I remember going with Karen looking for places to live because Jack had these kids and Karen and we were looking for a place for Jack to, you know, home in Tulsa. Yeah. And yeah, kid went everywhere, but Jack, you know, I just, I had it not been for Danny and, and the, the time there'd been more room for Jack, I'm sure. And, and, you know, when y'all went down to Florida and, you know, my dad went down there, there was a title match and we went down there and, um, of course, everybody got along, you know, it, the promoters got along, Don Owens and, you know, you had Fritz and it was it was a family. NWA was a United and and senior. I, like, I knew senior before I knew of Vinny. You know, I knew of um, uh, because my dad and he served on the grievance committee of the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. And I remember asking senior and I say senior for those out there that's listening is Vince McMahon, senior uh, Vince's daddy. What a prince of a guy! Super and dressed all. I mean, all, I mean, he was GQ all the way. I'm like, oh my god, um, and and so well mannered. And I remember asking it, just being polite and not knowing. Um, this was probably oh gosh, seventy nine, eighty ish, like that. And um, I said, so you have a son? Is he in wrestling? And he goes, oh, Vinny. He's in television. <laughs> Boy, is he in television. Did we learn that much? But so I, you know, um, I just got glimpses of, of some really, you know, uh, great people um, of this business and what the uh, Jim Barnett, I mean, we, for whatever Jimsy was about, um, you know, he's from Oklahoma. Did you know yeah, that? Yeah, he's an Oklahoma City guy. His family got rid of him, you know, for the reasons that, you know, personal reasons or whatever. We, you know, some of us know why, but he, he, it was Barnett Oil. Um, they were, you know, well to do. And um, uh, I can't, I would have never had the experience or been able to embrace you guys if it hadn't been for the man that we're talking about. And I get really w- worked up about it because I love my father. and. Um, uh, I, I just, I've got, I got his pictures everywhere and, you know, um, of, uh, because he lives, you know, he's, he's, he, uh, when things get tough or, you know, um, I, heck when I went up there with Vince, that was the deal. He's like, uh, I go, I'm, we're a small group here. It's my mom, my dad, and me. And I, then I had my, my two kids and Vince is like, bring them on. He's a load up the truck. And I said, you load up the truck. We're moving to Beverly. <laughs> Cause we were, you know, uh, and, but at, at that time, it, this, it, and that's why I can't say good enough about Vince. You know, there's always people that have their things with Vince McMahon, but Vince, um, he knew my story. He knew of my father. 
um, he he knew the, the love that I had for this business and that obviously a marriage to a wrestler didn't work out. But um, I wanted to, you know, I wanted I wanted to be a part of it. And my dad, you know, from the time I was a little girl, the wrestling fans would come up and say, is that the next ladies wrestling champion? And but daddy always wore these um, dark sunglasses, as you know. And when he was, you know, when when you hit a nerve, that eyebrow went up above that. I, you know, those glasses is like, oh, shit. it was the rock's <laughs> yeah. eyebrow before the rock come along. Oh, yeah. It was like, oh, God. Oh, man. And, you know, um, so no, that was never to happen. And so how all that happened, everything was based upon uh, on a on a great, great man and and how he recognized the talent, you know, and what he did with Danny. And and there was there was some times with Danny, you know, like he said, it's like, um, you know, he and taking nothing away from Danny. But like he said, um, and he went to OU. But he would dip, bring Danny. We would go over to the OU and OU and, and OSU were um, wrestling, and, you know, and we'd be going at it. Danny would go over there and coach the OU wrestlers. And my dad would be going, God, I'm bringing you over here as a guest. And you go over there and you're coaching against my team. Yeah. And he's like, you know, that's the only reason you went to OU is they they made a class for you in upholstery. So it's like, oh God, so you couldn't have passed anything else, but he, you know, and Danny was so good about it, but he wasn't the smartest, you know, knife in the drawer, but he uh, didn't have to be, he was, you know, he, he had, didn't have to be, uh, you know, uh, yeah. he, uh, your dad, your dad was coached by the guy that turned Danny Hodge down for a scholarship though. I mean, yeah. By, by Mr. Gallagher, Coach Gallagher there. I mean, Danny really wanted to be a cowboy with all of his heart, and he was so upset that uh, he had already been to an Olympic team, but the, what the guy, what Coach told him, I already got a guy at your weight. I would never tell somebody that because the very next year, Hodge pinned that guy in 16 seconds. <laughs> and Gallagher hauling the whole <laughs> Right, right, right. But I, mean, I think, like, you know, Mike, Gallagher was, uh, looked at your, the, you know, I, I, the fortitude. I don't know if he, what he didn't see in Danny um, that, you know, Hey, we, we make a little mistake. He passed on him and Oh, you got him, but that's okay. Mike, you mentioned the, the fact that you how your dad recognized talent, but he was from that 19, uh, I guess 50 on, he was blind. How did right. that happen? I mean, it's just it just boggles the mind that somebody could be blind and he's still a wrestling promoter, which is so visual. I know what you're talking about, but it seems was somebody there that helped him, that helped him see things. How, how did that work? That because uh, this is an amazing story. Well, you know, I, I sidetrack, but I also make it fun for all of us too. Is like my there was my mom, and he always, he he always asked from different people. Um, you know, their opinions, he always had, uh, gosh, um, uh, there was always guys around, not some of them, like Jack Gott was a trusted childhood friend. Um, there was, a um, another Leo man, Voss, Leo, Leo Voss, Voss I think was another one. Leo. You remember Leo Voss, Leo Voss. Leo and, Voss. I mean, we're and, right and, on the same track. And then Mike, so, I mean, and Mickey, Mickey Martin, who was a three-time national champion at OU, and then his uh, son went to OU and was a three-time national yeah, champion. Yeah, there was Wayne those, those were, those were right. Leroy at my time. Those were Leroy's close associates and actually his eyeballs to talent because those guys would be asking you questions all the time, getting information that they could feed back to Leroy. Right, 
Right. And then, you know, to working out, what, what are you made of, you know, working out um, and getting in the ring and, and, um, but dad's, you know, he loved the amateur that, and like he said, he goes professional kid. And he would say, he goes professional kid makes me a good living, but my, his love was amateur wrestling, you know, and, and even in the college sports, he was never, you know, the pro, he loved the kids, the athletes that, that, weren't paid, um, uh, that had the heart, just like what, you know, he had. So a lot of it too, John, he, he, he had a good instinct, but, um, he also your background, what are you made of? Where, where did you come from? Because that's how he's building his story, where he came from, how, how his career was, you know, he wrestled in high school. Um, and then, in you know, because you don't you don't be able to go different classes and and train and and train those days like go up in class go down in in your weight class and it uh, it's not wrestling you know my son did it I put him I started him and at five years old and both of the Steiner brothers told me when I was on the road they were like you're gonna burn that boy out and I'm like ah oh, no and he goes you, in Oklahoma you start him that early I'm like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, absolutely. And um, uh, so you you have to have. Um, oh, I mean, not only you, you've got to know not only your endurance, your career, but um, how much how, how are you going to stay with it? Are you going to stay with the program? Are you a quitter? And um, and that's what, another thing that dad looked at is, you know, this this isn't just um, we're going to do this and you get out. This is rough. This is this is a tough deal. And as you know, there's times um, I I don't even I'm not in the ring, but I know that you know it become a shoot at any time, and you better be able to wrestle your way out of it. And um, you, it's very. And I'm trying to can't think of the right word, but it is what he was looking for is commitment and uh, uh, persistence, dedication. And but he had all those people that surrounded him and a lot of people, you know, Bill will mention him too. some people came in and out of his life and promotion, but um, we'll get to him. But he relied on those guys to tell him and also what he could, you know, is he going to make some money? Is he going to make himself some money? Um, and, And family, you know, dad took care of families. Look, I knew Ted. I knew Teddy. When, you know, and I always told that my mom, when Ted first came in, you know, uh, Ted was um, rookie of the year, DiBiase. But remember, Iron Mike was from Nebraska. And see, that was another thing. He was junior heavyweight champion. Irish Mike Clancy. You know, you had all these people that um, had schooling and amateur background and wrestling because dad wanted to incorporate that with the professional part of it. And and because remember, we're still it, it might be showmanship. But it was real. And in a lot of people's eyes, you know that we, you know, and to me, it still is. You can't, you can't, I I try not to read some of the comments that I do. And I'm like, God, what? People get so bold behind the internet and they talk about fake or or injuries or anything. I have an injury. I've I've had two back surgeries. That wasn't, that wasn't, um, you know, I think that was another thing that Vince saw. And it wasn't, and it was by accident. You know, I mean, I got hit and that's, that's, it wasn't intentional. I wasn't even in the ring. I was trying to get out of the ring and, um, uh, warrior accidentally, you know, he was another one that usually the guys had a set pattern 
you know, you come in, you make your entrance and by God, anytime I was there to enhance the talent. I was not the talent. I was there to enhance it and say, you know, women can do this and, and not have to sell sex or anything else. But I'm also got my foot in the door of being, you know, making my dad proud, you know, it's like, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not giving anything away. I'm not having to be beat up and, and going through the things that you all did, but I still had a part of it. Well, what happened as I was trying to make the way to the chair and he came back, he doubled back on me. And within about three days, I didn't know why my back was hurting. And the doctor said, well, it was um, uh, I, it a herniated disc at that time. And um, so I, it took a couple of days longer and I coughed the wrong way. And I mean, just a, like a cough and boy, I mean, it was like somebody had just jabbed me in the side of the uh, left side. And so what that told me, the doctor told me my disc blew. And when my disc blew, they explained to me, as you all know, it's like uh, crab meat. And so when it blew, it wrapped itself around my left leg nerve ending. So I had drop foot immediately. I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know everything was happening so fast, but I was seeing the nerves like it was like an electric um, going off in my left leg. And I was like, God, you know, it wasn't moving, but it felt as if there was somebody shocking me. And, um, and that was the beginning of the drop foot and oh my God, I was, but I was off six weeks. And I, again, my dad, you know, he was already passed by this time, but I thought, you know, I've got, I've got to come back. And I was worried about losing my place thinking, you know, uh, if I'm off TV um, and, and so what they did to me is a lumbar laminectomy. And so we got that done. So when I hear that, it's like, God, and you guys, look at this. You know, I, I grew up with seeing Al Lovelock and, and the Bolos and the guy. Yeah. I remember I wasn't, and, um, the assassin. Sputnik. I love Sputnik. Sputnik was the coolest thing around. He had, you know, he had that white streak in his hair and he was colorful and he was. Did you tell us your favorite Sputnik Monroe story? We all have Sputnik Monroe stories. And oh. he was probably one of my favorite characters. When I was a rookie, I was, I, I had the privilege of him setting shotgun in my car and telling me, I was so proud of my car because I, your dad had taken care of me and I had saved enough money to buy my first. Not new car, but used new car, you know, sure. <laughs> about five-year-old car. And I was so proud of that car, so I had to take it on a trip. And Spudging Monroe sitting there with his tobacco and his, his beer and all that, spitting all over the place. Kid, it's just transportation. I got so mad I wanted to fight Sputnik, you know, and he said, well, pull off. He said, how far you want to go? I said, well, I just want to go to Tulsa up here and get out, you know, <laughs> And they would talk about how far you want to go fight. You know, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to fight. I just want to go to Tulsa and get bad. You know? <laughs> and yeah, what's your favorite yeah. Monroe story? He won a classic. Oh, oh just, a cla just a character in himself. Um, but, uh, you know, he picked up, I, I think it was Nancy. I think it was Nancy's first wife and dad kids. But after that, he had a divorce and he picked up the stripper. I don't know if you remember Sherry at all. Yeah. Oh, cross-eyed Sherry. She was cross-eyed. Gotcha. We used to call her Gotcha. You remember Gotcha? Yes. You that? yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I had heard that from my dad and said something anyways. Sputnik used to come back to my bedroom and visit because he'd say, man, you got the music going on and the black lights. And he said, kid, you know, he said, turn that music up and. And I said something about, it. I said, and I just, it slipped out of my mouth, but I said, 
So how's Gotchai? But I mean, that's <laughs> shit. <laughs> Yeah, it, but that's what she was known at the bar because Monday nights after wrestling, we I'd I'd go and just look at the guy, you know, and and try to be, you know, there's no way that I could out drink Murdoch or any of those guys. My God, um, God, there was somebody else. But they would gather up around there because they would close it up so you, you could, you know, you could have Carol Carl Cox and all of them up there and it, just listen to the stories. But um, the, there was many stories, but the one of them is that, you know, about how he straightened her eyes out. And um, and um, it, she was pretty lady and, you know, she was very well built. And I guess um, things kind of worked out. But he says, you know, I got her all straightened out so she can look at my mom with one eye. And I was like, oh, God, he would tell me. But then she left him, right? Huh? But then then she left him, right? She, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Akbar told me the story. Akbar, Akbar, this is one of his favorite stories. Said she said he fixed the gotchai, and one day he wakes up and says, "Look at me and look at you. I deserve better." Yeah. And she, she left it. And I'm not taking care of your mother anymore. I'm out of here. Oh yeah, straightened her eyes out. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, but it was it was hard. You know, I was like. Um, he's, you know, she always sees me as two people and I'm like, Oh God, they're, they're, one of you is enough, you know, in those spots, but he, he was such a colorful guy and character. And, um, and, and of course, you know, he always gave me the stories that he got, went up to, and I think he did And Jerry, he, he went up and, um, uh, saw Elvis because he was personal friends with Vester. When Elvis died, daddy wouldn't let me go. I'm I think I'm 20, but daddy, daddy wouldn't let me go to Memphis because he said that you don't need to be around there. Just like when I wanted to go to California and I want to be an actress. He goes, no, he called Gene Autry and Gene Autry snuffed that deal. So, <laughs> great. So two weeks later, I went there and, and Elvis was still um, at the mausoleum. But you, I went there to the gate and Vester was there. And I must have stayed there. Honest to God, I was there probably four hours to six o'clock in the morning talking wrestling stories, uh, Elvis stories. Um, and and commingling with the Oklahoma territory and the Nick Goulas and cause he was a wrestling fan and then Tretch Phillips, you know, that came into it and, um, and, and crying, you know, here I am. And like, Oh my God, all my friends are coming by and they're like, Mike, are you ready? Like, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, to go back, I, I jump forward and I go back and I'm sorry. Cause we could probably go this two hours, three hours. Cause of the stories. But um, how my dad knew, it, it is incredible how he knew the talent, but he depended on other people. But he also just like, you know, to fill in that color and to be able to know that match. And nobody was telling him, telling him that. Jerry knows that. Um, and it wasn't something that say, hey, Leroy, this is what's going to happen. You, you couldn't do that. He's blind. And he, you know, we always say my mom was his leader dog, his seeing eye dog, but you know, she was. Mom took some abuse, didn't she, Jerry? But yeah, she, she was did. For the long haul. Dorothy, goddamn it, bring my whiskey over here. <laughs> yeah, and you know, hey, the only time that one of the boys told me, and it was one night uh, at the show, and and they said, you know, when you had a snort, those days is what I remember what a snort's about. And that's what they meant. It was old Duggan. It was Jack's old Jim Duggan. And I told him about it when I saw him at WrestleMania. I was like telling the girls, I said, I love your dad and I love Deborah. And, and I said, you know, he's the only one that ever said, hey, kid, come on over here. You know, you're Leroy's daughter. You could use a good snort before you go out to the ring. And, I, yeah, and you know, that was just a little hit. You know, he had a little shot of whiskey. And that was my dad, you know, and he had it, that chaser. 
because it wasn't, you know, he had a half pint and a chaser. Of course, it was always in a brown paper sack, you know. Hey, love and, half pints. That, that's what you had to bring all the time with a half pint. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, um, um, where people say, oh, well, he drank every day. And, I, well, you know, back in those days, it wasn't where he was drinking why there was work after work when you have gone through all of this and you know, the guys can't make it or a guy got hurt. God knows in in promotion or or the television. And that was another thing. Do you know that? uh, And I was told this and Danny uh, Williams would tell you the television and the onset of television, they were approaching my father for the content to put wrestling on. That was when they were, saying, hey, we'll sell advertising, everything we need. We want your program. And that's how that started in Oklahoma City is how we got television. They came to us. Same thing in Tulsa. And funny how the evolution went to where it became. We were, you know, where we were paying them. Um, Well, that that was the deal back there. The promoters had to pay to be on TV. But Oklahoma, like you said, your dad was such a, a state hero and, you know, so well known locally and so respected. That that uh, TV people, uh, and I've been. I was told that from there that Leroy never paid for TV there. No, that's amazing. No, no, uh, no. And um, you know those forty-four minutes uh, it was left for for them to, and they made money. They, you know, at one time we were on prime time. We were on Saturday. We went to Saturday afternoon, but we were Friday night. You know, Oklahoma City, and then um, also to remember the territories. From what I understand and what I've always known, even through my dad, was as far as your television could reach. That was your territory. So just remember, we had all of Oklahoma. We had um, southwest part of Missouri, all of Arkansas. Then they went into Louisiana because Louisiana was, you know, it was untouched. You had the first place they sent me, Mike, was Louisiana. Uh, yeah, that's where you, that's where they break you in and see, you know, how, how big a boy are you? Yeah. <laughs> Cause those road tips are, you know, when I had Pat Patterson tell me, Pat Patterson sat there and he goes, McGurk. And he said, you, I ought to, I ought to tell you some stories about your dad. Cause he told me how rough it was back in the fifties, gorilla monsoon, same thing. You know, I'm like, great. My dad's got really paved the way for me here. <laughs> <laughs> they all had to tell me about the bat, you know, the, the road trips in Louisiana. And remember, again, now we're going back um, even farther. You know, you've got the 58, 55, 58, 59. And Louisiana still doesn't have the greatest roads. And they had horrible roads, you know, Tulane and, and, and Bayou's. Um, you know, Danny himself, you know, he hit that accident you know he never drove by himself and on that one occasion then you know he did and thank god that trucker saw him you know that happened and had he not had the strength that he had uh you know he's he sunk he went right off the road and went in and and was um sunken in that bayou and had he not had the strength to bust the windshield out and uh, to climb out of that you know it was what like wasn't it just a minuscule of within a, a, a of an inch of it being completely broken? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Danny, Danny props his, his neck up with his hand and crawls out of that river and crawls up the river bank and crawls about a half mile down the road before a trucker stops and picks him up. Yes. Yep. And that was one well, of Mike, the Mike, times. Mike, let's let's go let's go to yeah. to, to, to the, the big cowboy uh, when he entered. Uh, 
the fray there. I think it was in the early 70s when he first come in there. I don't know how involved right about he was. 68, 69, 69. I can remember that. And um, um, and see, at that, at that time, and I still have, uh, I have publicity shots of the big cowboy, um, and dad sent him up there to our ranch. So they would, the cowboys would... Um, Get the cow, get the cow. The cowboy Bill, Bill Watts for you that don't know. Cowboy Bill Watts, yeah, large William. So, <laughs> um, and it, so they would set it all up for him. So then Bill would come in and then put his knee down like he had roped. You know, as this was all my dad's ideas. You know, getting setting the stage for Cowboy Bill Watts because he was so big. And remember, um, that's why Dad couldn't. He said all he's good is for tagging in and tagging out because. His talent was junior heavyweight. So he all he could do is go in there, bam, 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 and tag out. Um, because there was there wasn't they didn't have he didn't have the competition. So dad sent him to New York. And he went up to New York, and that's when he, you know, from New York, I think he went, and then he went on to um uh he went to work for Vern, but he also stayed in touch with my dad. You know, he I, I think there was. I really want to think that there was a, there was a relationship because there's so many times that I'd be, you know, I'd come home um, or be woken up at night and Bill and my dad were up talking business and what they were going to do and, you know, or how Bill was selling it that um, he could do and, and take my dad's take, take it a little bit farther and take it out of, um, uh, maybe the stagnant state because we're going through bookers you know terry that's terry terry garvin the famous garvin brothers i remember the bookers that we've had and um you know it's it's a tough job and you have to keep it flowing you got to keep the talent flushed you know you can't um you got to send them on to somebody else and then bring somebody else in that's again, like a like the teddy story um my mom my mom's story about that she goes Oh, that damn little Ted DiBiase. He said, when he was a boy, him and his little brother came over here and, and tore up all your stuffed animals. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> so, and, you know, Helen Hild was a, a, a lady wrestler and his mom, you know, Helen was a, a lady wrestler, Ted's, Ted's uh, real mom, his, his birth mom. So, uh, uh, and, you know, just all those little stories that I still, ra- you know, razz him on as uh, we were kids. But, um, yeah, Bill, Bill, um, when he, he, the second time around, he came back in and this is when he wanted a book. And, and then it became, so this would be, hmm, gosh, in the mid seventies. So he'd gone back out, still come back in and, and, and discuss some things with my dad and, and was trying to take the territory a little bit further and bigger. And at one time he had a great idea um, and it would have worked had there not been maybe, I think, Bill wanted so much control and that's fine. But, you know, we were, North Carolina was on fire and they were developing their own stars. Well, um, and what Vern was doing the same thing. Why don't we just close that, that Midwest up? So what we were doing is being hold on to our talent. And I say our, forgive me on that is I had nothing to do with it. The talent to where we could use um, Joe Blanchard. We'd use Joe, we'd use uh, Fritz, and then we'd have, uh, you know, great relationships with with um, Pat O'Connor and Bob Geigel in the Kansas City territory. And then we'd close it in with Vern and we'd have the talent so that we weren't, you know, it, the, 
competition. We still didn't have the television that was going global yet. We still weren't in the 80s, remember. That's when things just busted wide open. And um, so and, and to combine the talent to combine the television, because again, I'll tell you, all of Arkansas and the bicycling of the tapes, we had a guy, do you remember Oni Wiki Wiki? If somebody right. would look up, he was the first barefooted place kicker for the University of Hawaii. And Oni Wiki Wiki, he was his real name was um uh, Lamho and um, Oni um, Wiki Wiki was quick, quick. And that was what he, that was the stage name. You know, he wore the little Hawaiian deal and, and wrestled barefooted and was at the junior heavyweight time. He was at, like mid card, but heck he did. had a good run um, over there in uh, Nashville. He did really good in Tennessee and went around. So, um, but Wiki was another office guy that came home and came back to Tulsa and 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 bicycled the tapes when we were bicycling these tapes to um you know louisiana and mississippi and you know dad built a building in jackson because we couldn't the building that we were using um they didn't like what was going on because jackson not in jackson but it was greenwood mississippi he he built the own building bought the land and dad said to heck with it i'll get my building and they built it and because uh, greenwood was tough i mean there's a couple of stabbings you know, Hodge got stabbed by his own dad, you know, that? Yeah. and that ended, that ended, uh, JB, I want to bring you in on this is that, I know you're listening is, uh, to keep the guys from wearing the same color of trunks. And the, remember boys didn't, boys didn't tell the families of what was, you know, of, of the business, did they? Jerry, I mean, no. and Danny's dad was not smart about it. And I think, I don't know if it was, Jack, was he in there with Dandy Jack Donovan? It was somebody. And he just Angelo, went in there. Angelo Savoldi. Savoldi. And he went in there and the dad just started slashing. And I, you know. And I think the I alcohol just, had a lot to do more with, oh, with I think colorblindness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was told the trunk stories, you know, I was like, well, by God, not have that happen. So, um, and I appreciate you asking that about how did dad form that? How did he do that? It's amazing to me how he, and he had to have the mind to, of, um, and, and rely on a good booker of how to put these guys together um, and, and, and incorporate what he knew of his years of being a champion and what it took and, and the psychology that it took for, and, you know, and dad sold, Bill sold him on the fact that, you know, it's a different time and you got to grow with it, Leroy. And, and dad trusted him. Bill wasn't, Bill wasn't, um, he wasn't a dummy. Um, and in fact, I think so much so that the power, you know, you get so much power and, and, um, um, I, I don't know, you know, that, that, that was the sad thing that I felt that, you know, that when it all came down to the end, that, um, it didn't be, it wasn't such a partnership and my dad was crushed by it. It, it, you know, literally when, when, a um, Brian Blair was there at the time and, um, we got a messenger that came to the door and said, your stuff will be packed up and put in storage. You're officially over. It's done. And my dad had just changed, uh, he had just changed it because daddy had always held on to 51% and Bill 49. Um, and he had decided, well, maybe this is a good time to maybe ease on out. And I trust you. And uh, he just wanted dad out of the way. And, um, um, you know, um, I, I, he wanted me out of the way because I, at that time, I was starting to, to figure things out. And, you know, I, and I think it became a little bit of my dad's eyes and probably shouldn't have said some of the things that I saw 
but I, you know, it wasn't right. And, um, you know, Bill, and this is the truth, Bill Watts uh, came to my apartment where I was living and offered me money. He said, what's it going to take to buy you out of here? He said, I just want to ship you out of state. And, um, you know, <laughs> you realize that it's it's big business. And this is before that it uh, that he had taken over on my dad. But, um, it, you know, it, it, it I was I didn't know then, but I do now that. And, and that's why Vince knew uh, of my story that, um, God, kid, you got rat, you got caught up in the middle of this. And I was like pretty much, but, you know, it was also the love of my dad and things weren't going right. And, um, you'd hear one story and then, you know, it was, it was being told totally different to my dad and he, cause he was kept in the dark. Um, and, um, when it became, cause my dad loved going to television, he loved being around it. It was his business. And it was you know, his life. It was his life too. I mean, it was his I life many years at that time, but that was his yeah. entire life, you know, from college, on to on to the on to that period of time and he was he and, he was scared every day every day he was scared of the fact of, of not you know it was not being you know of losing a dollar that's why nothing that he had was ever bought on credit you know if he couldn't build that building in green mississippi um then it wasn't happening his ranch the same thing you know he um because he remembered those lean days of not having anything and he goes i remember when those banks yanked those homes out and and you didn't have it anymore and you know he, he was always afraid of not being able to make that buck in any way that he could um because of he he never used that. He never, you know, he goes, I'm not a blind man. I just can't see. I'm not a blind man. And the only thing that he ever did in Braille was play cards. And he was really good at that. JBL, he had a poker face to die for. I mean, you never knew the hand that he was holding. But he had how he was so informed. And you know that his journalism came back into it. There was a thing that was called um, Talking Book. You remember that? Um, that he would da- always sit in his chair, and it was it was um, the U.S. Library of Congress for the blind sent these two to the blind. And this is you know before they had any of these programs going, but it was books and uh, magazine articles and where you could keep up with the day um, of of the times. But it, it was mostly books, and he read books. And I would wake up in the middle because it had that droll voice. Uh, whoever was doing and reading these books, you know, it was just this real drawl and like, couldn't miss it. It'd wake you up. And dad would wake you up. You know, he'd say, get up here, Dorth, come here, listen to this. And he'd, he'd run into something really good on, on a book. And, um, and it would just, you know, and he couldn't, he, he loved, he kept his mind fresh. He didn't want to be in a room that he couldn't be a part of the conversation. And he, he very, very, Right. Have I taken too much? It's like no, no, no. It's great stuff. But I want to ask you a question. I saw an interview you did with a a mutual friend of ours, Sean Mooney, who I I just love. What a wonderful guy. But you told the story about uh, when your dad found out that you liked Ted DiBiase, that your dad broke Ted DiBiase's arm, and later he shot at Brian Blair, who you were married to. Did this dating (laughs) uh, life when they realized that your dad either might kill him or maim him? <laughs> well, um, you know, I was his, I was his, you know, I was his only daughter. Um, he, I will say this, he had a daughter from a first marriage, but I was the kid. And again, I think a lot of it too, he never saw me and he didn't want me to get in. You know, Jerry, do you remember a promoter named Morris Siegel? He was down there yeah, somewhere. Sorry. 
Okay. Well, right. I don't know. I guess he had a daughter that went with, with, with the wrestlers and by God, that was not going to happen with his daughter. Okay. Well, you know, he, up until the Ted DiBiase area, era, you know, besides Jack and you guys, you were good looking, but I, you know, you older and I, you know, no. Well, Ted was kind of my age and, you know, we just hit it off and started talking. Wrong, wrong to do, but not to get too close. But I think a lot of it was, um, and that was another thing with Bill. See, um, I was trying to gain a little bit of insight and I was, Ted was telling me things that, you know, um, and another great friend of my dad's and he was such a good wrestler, um, was TJ, you know, Tom Jones and Tom, you know, before it was cool at working out, Tom Jones worked out and what a, what a body, you know, he, you talk about commitment and he, but he loved my dad. And that's why in some, there was a couple of books that, you know, said, and I think it was, might've been Bill's where he said something about <clears throat> the, uh, the black issue. My dad loved the black wrestlers. He loved the black, he, you know, he, he knew what it was like to be raised poor, white, black, whatever. He knew that. So, you know, it, the other part of it was we had race riots. My dad remembered that, you know, we, Tulsa's been getting a lot of bad rap and, you know, it was called race riots, not massacre. Now it's called a massacre because for insurance reasons and I think for compensation, but my dad remembered those things. So he never, he never would have been that kind of a, a guy or, or he would say, well, is he a black guy? But anyway, I didn't, I didn't see a black man, but I saw a wrestler. And I think with Ted, um, the thing that happened, he, because he, he knew of Ted's daddy that had passed, obviously, um, and I thought that would help. But the fact that he knew that life and didn't want that for me, don't know why, but maybe because of the heartache. And it's tough to be a wrestler's wife. Bottom line, it's tough to be a wrestler's wife. And me knowing what that wrestler's wife goes through, um, he, you know, he was like me being jealous didn't help anything, you know, because I knew I knew what was going on. But Ted and I met. We had a great time. Um, it, it, um, it got out to Bill Watts. And when Bill painted it a different picture and honest to God, Bill was instrumental in busting us up. He 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 brought um, Ted was going through a divorce and he brought Ted's ex. So a lot of this isn't brought up. Nobody knows a lot of this. This is this is first, you guys. Um, Ted um, had his wife, his ex, soon to be ex-wife, probably like within three months, Jeanette out of uh, Amarillo. Bill brought her to a television, brought her to Shreveport and they got together and that was it. It was done. Uh, um, they, he, he said, you need to get back with your wife. I'm going to take care of this end. And so I get upset. I'm, I'm devastated. I had just taken Ted DiBiase, July 4th, 1976, Tulsa, Oklahoma, to the Old Roberts Auditorium, Old Roberts University. We saw Elvis, and he still talks to me about that day. And he goes, you're the only one that took me to Elvis. And I go, well, how funny is that? Because I had met Elvis's stepbrothers in Las Vegas during a wrestling thing. And um, we had just vicariously ran into each other. And, of course, I was a fan. Anyway, I said, come on, Ted, let's go back. I said, uh, we might not get to meet Elvis, but I said, I want you to meet the, ha the stepbrothers. I'm not going back there. To stay. <laughs> Man, that ego and that pride, he would not go. So that next day, I took Ted and dropped him off the airport and never saw him again. 
And I said, isn't this funny? And I told him that. I said, not only did I put your ass on a plane, I'm looking over there at the Lisa Marie. And it's like, I didn't get to see Elvis. And I lost my boyfriend over here. And I'm like, <laughs> something's wrong with this picture. But um, yeah, so uh, I think a lot of it was dad was going to go down there. And he was at television. And he broke my heart. And I was pretty devastated. And I think my dad was not aware of Bill's involvement. So he just thought that Ted had dumped me. So that was why he was going to go down there and he was, he was going to use the, I don't know that he was. My was he going to shoot Ted? I always heard he had a gun and he always had a gun. Oh, he had a gun. He always had a gun. Shoot Teddy. Yeah. I, he was, he was, I don't know that he would have, um, you know, now. Jim well, that's Ross, a great story anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is where you sell books. Okay, this is where you sell books. Um, I know that he was devastated. My dad was devastated for me. And he's like, I told you not to get wrapped up in this. And and um, I just, you know, Ted was different. But also Ted was also he was my connection to uh, what later, which I wanted Brian to do. And Brian, bless his heart. He was too young um, is is I, I can't be in that back. I can't be that 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 boy that my dad needed. I can't be that connection with the rustlers to make this thing, you know, to keep this business going. And that's why I said, my God, if we had not had um, Skandar, we had Art Nelson here for a little while. And of course, Art Nelson was way, he went back to the fifties and boy, you talk about, you don't sit in a hold for 30 that minutes. That was a way back machine there. <laughs> oh my God. And so we had to get, we, you know, we had to flush him out. Um, <laughs> And we had some good people in here. You know, we had um, George Scott. George came in here, but, you know, George went, needed to spend a lot of money. And we didn't have a lot of money to go fight because Bill Bill was coming in and, and television. You know, we were, we were fighting. New York was coming in. Uh, TBS was all over the place. And we had just get this JBL. Um, we were just on the edge of getting our first U channel. Thank goodness, because when when Bill took over our contract, he went over to NBC, our, cha- our Channel 2 network, our local uh, NBC network. The only place we could go was you. Well, in that day, it, a lot of people didn't have that antenna. I know we were talking, oh, gosh, you knew people that have all this stuff and you're, you know, the iPhones and everything. You have no idea. Oh, my God, let's get a coat hanger and we'll, we'll bring in the U Channel 23. But that's how we ended up was getting on that channel to survive. And Mike, you can't you can survive. Mike, I got a couple of weeks ago, we had the great James Beard on our show, uh, Briscoe, sorry, but Briscoe and Bratch Bradshaw over there, <laughs> by the way. But we had uh, James Beard on there, and we were talking about uh, a friend, a great friend of all of us, uh, Scandor Agbar. And you sent me a little tweet said, if it hadn't been for Scandor, we probably wouldn't have had a territory for the last yep. two years. Explain, explain to us what, what you meant by that. Everything. Jim held <clears throat> Jim held um, my dad together. He brought he he also got a hold of, you know, we had the Kozaks, we had a little bit of Amarillo, we could bring the Romeros in. We needed talent. Um, and we needed a booker. We needed somebody that could get along with the boys, um, had a good mind, could could take my could take care of my dad. Um, and, and because dad wanted to know everything about his business, you know, keep him informed. Um, and we didn't know at the time 
um, where the drinking probably, you know, we, we thought now we know why he was drinking because he was, he Alzheimer's Alzheimer's was so new at the time that when he got it, that they took a picture of his brain in January and then took a picture of his brain in May and then went, Oh my gosh. And this was a new disease in 88. So we go back and we're thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, daddy don't drink as much. Um, and we would keep the booze away from him, but his mind still was, 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 was not there. Skandar did. He wore so many hats, Jerry and JBL. He got us a talent. He kept the talent. Um, he had good, we had good matches. Um, he, he not only worked and was on the road, he would be right back at that office at nine o'clock that morning. It was tough. And he was not at home. You know, he was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, now, he had a couple of nice big girlfriends that took care of him because he never, he wasn't staying at a hotel. <laughs> I mean, these gals were great. They, they were the ones that would always come into um, ringside dressed really well, but you know, they had the false eyelashes and they had the cigarette holders and they were the only ones that I ever knew that would come in with mink furs or anything. I mean, just over the top. Those were scans ladies. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd pick him up and, you know, like he said, he goes, Hey, I'm staying at her house. And he goes, I don't have to worry about a thing. And they didn't, they fed him, they cooked for him. You know, what did he need? He just sent the money home. But what we needed was scans um, and his, his undearing, un, un, unwavering friendship towards my father and my mother and, and how he knew how important it was for my dad to have this business. Um, and, and it would, you know, like my mom would go cash a CD for us to keep, you know, I, to stay in and, and, um, you know, it, it, scan would take me on, you know, he would help me. He'd say, come on, kid, um, ride with me. And, and, uh, um, oh, I think God, he had Mr. Pogo with him and, uh, just some really characters, but I would love to listen to, to scan on the road. And he was so respectful and just a good, good guy. But I knew him as a kid, too, because, you know, he was, you know, with the, had the Danny Hodge thing, you know, he um, so he was not always uh, with the turban. You know, he was he was a good guy uh, and he really was soft spoken and 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 had that forehead. You know, he would move that forehead. But you talk about it didn't matter any time how he loved and thought of my father and that that said it and, and, and it proved, you know, he wasn't making a lot of money doing what he was doing, but he, he repaid this family tenfold because we would have, like I said, we would have not been able to have the doors open as long as we did have not been for scan. And because, because of his connection and how, how he was so good with the talent and you've got to have that because you know, when you're working with talent, there's, there's personalities in there, you know, and everybody deserves, um, you know, wants that break and uh, it shouldn't go that way. And, you know, you, you, that was where Brian had the problem is you can't be one of the boys and, and, and really be the booker. You, you, you have to, you've got to take a lot of hits. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a thankful job. And, 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 and it comes down to business. You know, I learned what uh, a pencil meant um, and because I don't know, like they said, you know, if you don't do or, or do this, you, you're erased. And a many times I would see somebody on top that would be erased or something like, oh, my God, that's how easy you could be replaced. So, uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, going back to Stan Hansen and uh, Frank, 
he was Frank Goodish, you know, he, he became later, you know, but those two came in. And what I remember, that was the fun time I had talking to Stan. One of them, wasn't one of them a school teacher? Wasn't one of them in education some way, but those two came well, in uh, together. Frank, Frank, Frank was a, a journalist. So he studied journalism at, uh, at college, that and he, that's how he started out was through journalism. So that's he had a contact with your dad through journalism, probably. That's what, that's what Barbara said, that, you know, Frank adored my dad. And I think, you know, that was another thing, JBL, when you get into like how my dad, my dad wanted to know um, your background. Did you have just more to it than wrestling? What, what, what else is to your life? And that, that broadened the sense of who you were about as a human being to him. Um, because we are more than, um, we're a family man, we're a dad, we're this, but we, uh, you know, wrestling is our core but um, that we also um, think outside the box. So, um, yeah, he, he the, I remember those two guys coming in and there you are. And there you've got your heavyweights and they came in and because this was where a lot of times they came in at Oklahoma, Louisiana territory, broke in and then away they go. Because um, uh, it was, it, you had, we had the smaller guys. You remember Argentina Zuma? Um, oh, yeah. You know, we had Pat Barrett, you know, um, Nelson Royal. You know, we have some, uh, yeah. <laughs> all, all great performers, too. These are just names that I read, Jerry. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I know too much and I say too much. And it's like, gosh, have you been around that long? You know I have. Yeah, you know I have. Just just, just a bit, but I enjoy it uh, talking. Um, you know, oh, Mike, Mike, okay, the, the end has come now. And, and, and Vince, is, uh, Vince is coming in now. You guys, you guys were of the territory, like most of the territories back in those days, where you bicycle tapes. So you really had no, no, no library, no inventory of tapes, right? And uh, so uh, you missed that, kind of missed out on that because the the system of those days, those big two inch tapes, they cost so damn much money that you had to tape over them every week. So so much great footage was lost to economics during that time there, but. How, how did you finally make that move? You mentioned you touched on it a little bit before where Vince knew your plight, knew, knew, knew your background. But uh, how, how was that contact made and how did you end up uh, becoming the first lady announcer for WWE, WWF at the time? Who'd ever thought that? Well, I'll tell you. The connections of, of uh, it was, oh, man, John Ringley. Does that name strike a bell? John, John Ringer, was yeah, he was uh, in Carolina. He was the one that basically George Scott built George Scott's reputation there in Carolina. Right. Well, John Ringley also was married to Francis Crockett at right. the time. Francis Crockett, Maybe, yes. you know, I know you're here with me, darling, and I hope you just, you know, we're, you're, when I'm talking, I'm talking to both of you and probably enlightening uh, you all, but um, John had also worked for us. Uh, Bill had brought him in, so he, but he'd gotten out by that time, but he still stayed in the loop. By this time, Terry Garvin is up there uh, working. That was another connection. So anyway, they, Vince, when I hear a lot of these stories, it's like Vince had all these rings. Well, later on he did, but when he first started out, he had no rings down here. Yeah. When, Bill, when Bill and my dad split, and when it came down to, he bought, he basically, we, we had this television and they paid the guy and we paid $2,200 that day and there was no film 
and the and the, there was no film. We were done. We didn't have any TV. We didn't have anything. So Bill came in, swooped down, said, this is what I'll give you, and I'll buy you out, and um, I want the chairs, and I want all the rings, and this is what I'm going to get. Well, he named X amount of rings, but he didn't name the one ring that I have that kept me going. And I said, this is one ring that my dad is going to have because he always said, when I retire up the ranch, I want that wrestling ring sitting right there, you know, right that front door. He was, and that was where he, he wanted. So I grabbed the one wrestling ring, which uh, there were seven of them that my dad had built back in the late six or a great working ring. Um, um, it was an 18 by 18 free suspension ring. There's no spring, nothing. It was free suspension. And you put two by 12 by 18 boards on it and you had steel cable ropes. So anytime that you put that cross underneath, you, you put those cables across that would pop those, those posts out. And then, then you tighten up your tension with your, um, your, your turnbuckles. And you had some really stout, you had a stout ring. That was, hell, even the giant would say, that's the best ring I've ever been on, you know, because he could fall on it and, and it, you know, it was easy on him. Um, so I kept that ring. So um, 82 was our last time. And by 83, senior, I think senior died in 83. My first run was 1984. Um, John Ringley called my parents and said, do you happen to have a ring? Because Junior is going, he has decided he's going to run opposition. He's going everywhere. And the first place he's going to be going is right there against Bill Watts. And he's going to go into the Oklahoma territory. Would you happen to have a ring? They were going to send somebody there. They had, they were going to send somebody fly him out here. And, um, uh, boy, that's all I had to hear as a kid. I'm like out back there, you know, I was at the ranch. And I said that back 40, there's a wrestling ring right there and it's sitting on that trailer, just like it's sitting right back here right now. And uh, I said, I'm in, um, how much does it pay? And uh, mom's like, Oh, what are you going to do? You can't put up a ring. I'll find somebody. And my dad was like, you know, and I would, I was like, heck, I just, I'll find them. And I did. I started calling the old ring crew, one that can't drive anymore. I said, I don't care if you can't drive. I can drive. I just need you to lift the steel up for me. Got the old, old Ballard dogs, got him and uh, another guy he brought along because that's, that's a heavy ring and away we go. So I accepted the first time was in Oklahoma City. Well, I get to Oklahoma City and I got a ring and I'm waiting because I know I've got a payday coming. Not only that, I also know this business. These guys are flying in. They expect to have that ring ready to go or we're not going to have a show. But the ring that was there was an old boxing ring that was set up on um, like, like stilts, you know, they, they were like jacks and it was not going to sustain. There was no way. And it was a, as a whole, it was, it was not my ring. And that's not what, so I knew the guy, I knew the building manager from that, from those days, Scott Munns. And I said, Scott, get this son of a bitch out of here. I said, I've got a ring and this is what I, I'm paid. I'm, I'm going to get paid to do this. This, this. this, we don't know anything about that. Well, we later find out that it was set to, to fail and um, Scott was doing a deal, I guess, with Bill or who knows, but it was set to fall. It was and <laughs> it left. We get my ring crew in. I get there and it just is getting up just as Pat Patterson, my first agent that I'm that I met. 
And Pat's like, what the hell is going on here? This should have been set up here at like two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, Pat. And he goes, and who in the hell are you? You know, so, <laughs> how do you do? How do you do, Mr. Patterson? I'm Mike McGurk, which meant didn't mean shit to him. You know, it was just like he just wanted to make sure that, you know, are you responsible for the ring? Yes, I'm Mike. And OK, so now it's all filled in. We don't have cell phones. We don't have any of that. He's going by what that sheet of paper has. And uh, I'm his contact. So that's how um, that first show started was with my ring. Well, um, so Terry Garvin said, you did really well. Um, we're going to go to Tulsa. So then it began. I went as, so that's how it went. I was, I was ring crew before I became anything else. So I learned also too, I was like, well, how much is it to collect the jackets? Because I had this ring crew guy. I'd never been up at ringside. I'd never done that. That was for paying customers. I was back there with the hired help. You know, I, that you didn't. And um, so I said, well, Hey, I'll ring the bell to keep time. And I've got the ring crew guy. I'll dress him up a little bit um, if you can do that and he'll get run the jackets. So uh, that was meant more for more money. So that's how all this kind of went is that I'll be your one-stop show as far as the ring. And then it became, they were shipping merchandise down to me and I was carrying the merchandise, these big old boxes. So I was carrying merchandise to these different towns and running opposition against Bill Watts. I ran opposition and I think, and I ran as far as my North Dakota. I went as far East to see you. Cause I, you remember I brought the ring to you a couple of times and um, you were just as wonderful as you've always been to me, Jerry. And I mean that, you know, that the Briscoes are dear to me. Um, I went as far as um, uh, Arizona. I was out at, um, and, and I can't, and then of course, I can't tell you the Texas shows that I ran. Thank you very much. But when we'd go, um, he'd put me on these loops. And so I could get four or five shows while the guys were flying or else that they would be um, uh, driving. I'm leaving that show, taking that ring down, get my ring crew. And we're driving all night long so I could at least get some sleep and then get up and get there by noon and get that ring up so that, you know, why you guys jetted around and I was like yeah boy I'm, I'm I don't know where I made this deal I'm somewhere I'm <laughs> I used to tell it to uh, the guys because the one show he had me we were in an afternoon show in Springfield Illinois Springfield Illinois and then I was supposed to be at Knoxville Tennessee by two o'clock that following afternoon honest to God and I made it and and not only that we lose an hour or, or a game, right? We gain or lose, but I went into Easter. I went from Central Time. Honestly, we went from snow, and I said, I feel like the freaking snow, I like the postman. I'm going from snow to sleet to rain, and now we're into Knoxville, and who do you think's there just going, where are you, where are you? Um, uh, Chief Jay Strongbow, you know, Jay's like, I go, hey, man, I haven't even stopped. I'm, I'm lucky to be here. And, he, you know, it's business. I don't care. I don't want to hear about your sad story. I don't want to hear about the snow and stuff, just that you're here and got that ring up. So um, I said, I did that. And my first my first time to do announcing was only because it was Memphis, Tennessee, Mid-South Coliseum. Thank you, Elvis. It just and it was on my mama's birthday. September 12th. And uh, what happened there was, and what they'd been doing a couple of years is Vince would get um, and buy in, you know, trade out um, advertising with your local TV stations or, or your radio disc jockeys. 
So they, you know, they would, if this guy could get up and promote the station before the matches and, and they worked out the advertising budget that way. Well, this one guy happened to be all about himself in Memphis, Tennessee this night. And I had Jack Lanza as the agent and Jack is no bullshit. You know, I mean, it's with that clipboard and it's like, Hey, and he came out there and I could see he was steaming. You know, he was like, get him out of there. I knew, I knew what this meant. You know, it was his neck or mine. And, uh, so I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I've got all my stuff done. The music's great. I've got that lined up. I've already now I've you know advanced to make sure all the boys music is right. He comes in and he looks and he comes back out there and he goes, come here. And he takes me to the back. And here's Andre. It was a big show. I think a Hawk. Uh, it was a really big show. They had sold, a really big show. They had sold out Memphis. And here, you know, all, all the people that I knew is, that were like, you know, that I always looked up to. And he's sitting there and he goes, well, you know, you, you've said out there, um, he said, you've announced, right? And I said, no, daddy's, now I had brought dad and mom, because right? it was my mom's birthday. I brought dad, we had rented this one time I had, because other times I had a three quarter ton Suburban that would haul this one ton ring. Well, this one time we rented, like it was a van in the front and then it had like a, the mini home in the back, it was all included wasn't quite a motor home, but it was like a mini home, but it also allowed my dad to be comfortable and sit, you know, instead of being in a car, he could get up and then, then there was a bathroom there to make that trip. So anyway, I have all that there and I'll never forget it. Cause he's like, well, you've done this, haven't you? I said, no, sir. No. And he goes, well, you're announcing tonight. He goes, cause I've just pulled him. He's not going to be doing any of the announcing. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my, and I've got, I mean, I'm writing. I know these guys, but do I know the weight? And I knew that I was going to look like I could look right at you and go, oh, my God, who is that? Oh, my God, is that, you know, I knew you're JBL. I knew you're Jerry Briscoe. But at that moment, I didn't know my name. And because he had, you know, put it on me. And I got up there and I, was, I somehow I did it. And um, my dad, my dad's great comment. He goes, didn't sound like a kid. And he's because I was I was about five octaves higher. I was scared out of my wits. Are you kidding? You know, to be able to pull it off and do something right. Not only that, my biggest critic was right out there in the audience, and it was my daddy. So um, but it I I wanted him on the road to to know and to be around the boys because he could go around the back and you know Jerry JBL that you it just made him smile. You know, he would love to be a part of that. That made it makes anybody. It's like us talking. It, you know, you, you have those endearing stories that you uh, you it brings you back. It may, those are happy times, happy times. And the boys, it's a camaraderie that I don't know, but I understand a little bit because I I've never had any brothers, and you guys are my brothers. Always have been. You're you're my family. Um, I can be in any different genre, any different kind of workspace. And somebody mentioned wrestling. I'm on. I mean, it's because it's my life. I, I was raised into it. And I know I know I know what you all have gone through. And, um, and I'm proud of it. I'm proud of all of everybody. And um, how could I not? How could I not be? And I said, I, God, the, the people that I've uh, had the opportunity to meet in my life, I would have never had, and the, the characters, um, you know, I, and I, and I mean, it was showtime, and that was a little bit of it. It was showtime, and um, it, but it, that's where I started, and that's I didn't get Vince's attention probably for a couple of years, but because it, it took it took getting 
um, you know, Jack was good with it. Uh, you know, Black Jack, Lanza was good with it. Um, uh, Tony Gurria, I want him over finally. A little, it took, yeah, he was a tough one. Renee, you know, it, just do your job. But they, you know, it, I, and we weren't divas. We didn't know that name. Sherry and I didn't know it. And good God, you know, there was many a times that, um, you know, you, you found wherever you could to get dressed. You, you just, that wasn't provided because, and I didn't care. I didn't want to make waves because I didn't want, I wanted to stay, you know, if I, the less waves that I make, then I'm going to get to, you know, I'm going to get to hang in there. So <laughs> don't make any waves. Well, I ran into Sherry and that, 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 that did it. Boy, that did it. But, you know, she started, that's another interesting story that I could tell you that I didn't know. You remember Mike, it was Mike Boyette. She started out with him. It was, he was, was the hit. Yeah. yeah. So JBL, I can tell you, I mean, um, I know I probably, I've aged myself way, way, but it's wonderful memories. But how I got started that way and the ring was over time and that I had the ring and that with each time that I did, each time opened each door, um, just like the Memphis thing. Um, Cause he told me, he said, you know, you're going in opposition and um, they, 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 without a ring, there won't be a show. So if you don't get that ring up, it's on you. Well, that's a pretty big order. You know, that, that means come hell or high water. You're there. That come, come, come. You're going to take this little girl out. Are you going to take that old ball headed man out that looks like he could be from the state penitentiary? I don't think so. And Mike, none of us Mike, were, you, Mike was, you remember the story. You remember the story on how you, 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 uh, you, I think you did Pensacola for me, but we, we'd, uh, you're exactly right. No ring, no show. We, we'd, we were running Pensacola. Had Hoga had had the A card up there. We get there, we'd we'd hard out. Uh, Frankie came, great Mephisto, who I love to death. Frankie uh, was paid off by uh, the local. I think it was the Jarrett and Lawler paid him off not to show up there. So we didn't have a ring there. So we what we what? did we went over went over the local high school and got a, got some wrestling mats and tied some ropes up around. And we actually had a show on amateur wrestling matches, John, in the early days of Pensacola. So, Mike, Mike, without that ring, you're right, man. It, 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 it was hard on the boys, but they, you know what? They improvised and they got through it. But, Mike, uh, John and I just, man. You this know is, what man. I'm going to say, JBL, don't you? You know where I'm, you know, there's a lead-in right there. It's like, God dang it, Briscoe, didn't you know Mike, Mike Leroy's daughter would bring that ring to you? You ought to know that. and and. What happened is like you, like we were, we we're going against Tennessee and I've got a Harley race story to tell you when I went up there and you've got to realize, which I knew, but I, I think I was thinking so much as the show's going to must go on because I was in that, I was in that whole realm. I went from promoter's daughter, selling tickets, selling programs. That's what I, I did. Um, and to know the business all the way around with the exception of being in the ring and, and my body, but um, I knew the whole the whole outer rim of it. Like you said, you've got to start with the ring and you've got to trust who's putting it up because those guys bodies are on it and they're taking hits. They're going to be, you know, using those ropes. Oh my God. You know, it's like, they better, you know, I knew that you always, every time that, you know, if you had, um, God, we had it. Oh my God. I, I tell you, I was, they, he sent me to a racetrack in Nashville, Tennessee. And we had, um, 
John Studd, we had Andre, and I'm thinking, oh my God, are the ropes going to hold? Oh my, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm worried about the ring, but also too, for the guy's sake, you know, as that was the thing is, is doing it. But what happened in Kansas City, you know, I'm, I'm, this was big. This was Hulk Hogan. He got the, um, I think he had the key to the city, the whole thing. And Harley, He's, I don't know how we, I think he saw me out in the arena. He came up and he, he asked me, he said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I brought the ring. And I, he kind of looked at me, he was, you brought the ring. I said, Harley. And I said, I said, out there in that minivan is Leroy. And I said, I know daddy would love to see you. And he just sat there and he said, God damn it. And I said, well, what? And he said, do you realize what the hell you and this Vince McMahon is doing? He said, I've bought into this territory. This is my life. And I said, well, I didn't tell you that you couldn't work for Bill Watts. And I said, I, 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 I adore you, I, uh, your career, everything. But I said, Harley, let's just talk about it. I said, I've, I've got a job to do. I'm sorry for this, but I mean, it's happening. And I said, I, Vince is going and he's going, he's not stopping. And if it's not me, it's going to be somebody else. And I said, what you need to do is go there and talk to my dad and let me finish up with the ring. He shows me a quart jar, like out of a mayonnaise jar, no label on it, anything. It had, it was clear, but it had a pink, a pinkish tint to it. Does anybody know what that does? I didn't, but it was meant to go throw on that ring. It was meant to, 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 to but he goes, this will this will, this will mess your ring up. It'll f your ring up. Um, I don't know if it was meant to steal or what it would do, but it was meant for damage. And I said, "Well, maybe that'll." Uh, you just hang on to that little jar and go out there and talk to my dad. <laughs> I I get it. You know, I I I understand. And he, uh, you know, asked me again. He said, "Do you realize what you're doing?" I said, "If I did, and probably the, um, you know, if I put the element of danger in it." But I said, I'm, I, I'm not thinking danger. I'm thinking of two, you know, what do they say that? Hell, you, know, you would have still done it, Mike. You know that. You're, you're my girl. <laughs> I'm hard-headed. I'm hard-headed. You know? I was hard-headed. And, and it was, um, it was the, I think it was, I know it was. It was a challenge to, for somebody to say, a woman hauling the ring and doing this. Yeah. And a lot of times the building people would be, you know, cause I'd come in there and sweats or anything. I'm not about the show until it's showtime and they get paid for it. So I'd get in there and the building people would go, where, where's that other lady that came in with the ring crew? I said, Oh, we keep her in the dressing room. We don't, <laughs> we don't let her out. <laughs> so, and it was me. So that was the, I would do this, you know, the metamorphosis into the makeup and the hair and, and the tuxedo, but that I started that. And how I, but before I even did the announcing, I was still showing up in man and men's tuxedos. So when I was at the ring or anything like that to dress up, uh, because that's, that gave it, you know, you, 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 that gave it authenticity. It gave it some class. You dressed up. I didn't care about what everybody else did because anybody that, and you know that anybody that comes in and, you know, you're used to seeing jeans or you're used to seeing this and you see somebody dressed that's, you know, hey, that's a that's focus. So, I mean, that was daddy, too. You know, daddy was always a really well-dressed person. So he said, when you go up and you're out there and you're in the public eye, he said, you dress it. It doesn't matter if you're eating beans. 
you know, and back and is it, but you dress like you're a million bucks and you'll get the respect and you do, you know, you, you, you're, you're a figure of authority. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was a little, uh, wisdom from my dad about dressing. So I said, okay. So I rented a man's tuxedo from Al's tuxedo in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I ran around with a long crotched, um, <laughs> man's tuxedo for a while until the sewing girls came on board. And, um, we, we, uh, we got into spandex and, and some colorful tuxedos. And I didn't ask Vince. It was just something that um, I was doing to change, change things up. Plus the fact really what I did is because I didn't have to, I didn't have to worry about the dry cleaning bill anymore. <laughs> and it was, you know, I could wash it at night and, and be ready to go the next day. So, but that's how that started was uh, from the ring to uh, that call and and then with each time uh, uh, and then they put me through it you know I it'd be eight shows of grueling long shows um, and and tearing it down putting it back up and and away we go so um, that was that started in 1984 um, I announced in 86 and then over time house shows so I knew that anytime uh, Jack was the uh, agent that I would that he would let me you know, he would instead of anybody else, but the, I was the ring. He, he had not made any rings yet. There was not any big trucks coming out of, um, of New York. I, I did all of that up until, and I, and, and truth be known, I'd already been on television for about a year and Vince took me, he said, I can't let you do the ring anymore. And it about killed me. Cause that's money. You know, I'm like, but I, but why? And he said, I can't have my on-air ring announcer, you know, showing up with the ball headed guy in the ring. He said, I just can't have that. And I said, okay, wonder if I don't go on the road with them. And he's like, by this time he had already had, he, his plan was in motion and he had the rings and I get that. But um, yeah, those days it was like, Hey, we, we had a show and the ring and I was, that's how I got started. So, and then he brought me in um, the television thing. He, he wasn't quite sold on me being an announcer yet. So he brought me in as color commentator. So that I'm also uh, the first female color commentator. Um, but it turned into, because we had this guy, I was with Bruce uh, Pritchard and we were down there for, um, uh, oh, the promoter, Paul Bosch's. We were, you know, hadn't quite made the deal yet, but Vince was, Vince was there. We hadn't, you know, Paul was still a part of that promotion. Um, and so I was doing color commentate and I really didn't know what, you know, what they wanted to put me as is, um, which wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to at least ascertain that, Hey, that, you know, and fill in the color, but they wanted to be, you know, you need to be at home having babies, blah, 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 blah. And, and have an art, you know, this kind of argumenting thing. But it changed a little bit. I did get to do a little bit with uh, Gorilla, and uh, you know, I, it was just it was it was it was just unbelievable because I, it not only was I out of my league, but that just to be in the presence of Gorilla, that was just wonderful. And calling a match, and I think that it wasn't, it still isn't. I don't think, if especially in my mind, I had to look at what I'm thinking. How can I call a match or not call it like in the ring, but how can I be color if I've never been in that ring with those guys? And that was where I, I myself probably X myself out of that because I felt like I wasn't, I didn't have the authority 
you know, by, by being able to do that. Being an announcer, that would be mine. That would, as Vince said, if you've ever wanted, if you ever wanted anybody to listen to you, here's your chance. <laughs> you've got the mic in your hand, go for it. So, um, yeah, but I, I know I, I, I go along and explain this, but when you ask me one question, it probably has about 20 answers. Plus the fact COVID just about, I got so lonesome about seeing and talking to anybody and um, it's, just seeing you all is such a joy. And, and to be able to, that you're interested, that you uh, want to know some history. It's wonderful. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. I mean, this is, this is a true treat and there's so much more we can talk about, but I don't want to keep you forever, but thank you so much. I mean, it's just, it's such a wonderful history, even though it's Oklahoma, it's such a wonderful history of, of all of that incredible. You just had to put that in there. <laughs> of course I did. Cause Jerry's on the, Jerry's on the of all that incredible territory from your dad, who's one of the greatest champions of all time to you coming in to being the first woman commentator and to be the ring announcer. There's so much wonderful history there. And it's, you're such a great person. I've always enjoyed being around you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I thank you all. And I could go on, you know, this thank you could go 30 minutes of how I wish I had the virtual hug and, and that I want to see you all because you, you realize how infinite, you know, our life is and, and, um, and how you were. And from the first time that I met you, you didn't, you know, I didn't, I, I just thought you were pretty cool and you had long horn, those long horns on like Cadillac. And I mean, in the hat. And I was like, I, I gotta say, you're pretty, you're pretty sharp, pretty sharp. And you had a little bit of smarts about you, you know, so that, you know. Just a little were, bit. Uh, I was Mike, trying to I, 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 You know, I, I've been intertwined with you my uh, and your family my entire professional life, which is three quarters of my life. And uh, I, 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 you know, I think back and how fortunate I was to come along, you know, to, to work with your dad, to work with the Jack Gotts, the Leo Vosses. The Scandor Akbar and 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 your your wonderful mother Dorothy. I mean, uh, Delor, uh, Dorothy, right? And and so right, uh, yeah, and, Dorothy. And then you got Danny. Yeah. Look at your brother. Look at the the things that you've done, Jerry. And you know, it, it you've got such in your family. My God, that that one boy of yours. I you know, he's if I was just younger, I'd have him. He's just and he's good You're to have. <laughs> yeah, you know how You're good he was. Him right now. Yeah. But yeah. we really appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, and when you go to Stillwater tomorrow, drop by the National Wrestling Hall of Fame now and uh, and see uh, Leroy Smith tell him you and I and JBL. He loves JBL for some reason. <laughs> uh, JBL was inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame in Waterloo, Iowa, Dan Gable Museum up there a few yes. years back. So. Uh, so he 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 knows uh, he knows John, but Leroy, as you know, that museum's a wonderful place that preserves uh, the wrestling history and Leroy. But you know, I hope your granddaughter grows up to be a, a cowpoke air cowgirl and join that wonderful softball team program that uh, the Cowboys have up there in Stillwater. So, yeah, my regards to your family there. You guys are my family and always will be. And. Uh, I appreciate everything your family has done for me personally and for the wrestling business and as a whole. And without the McGurk promotion, McGurk family, there would be an awful big hole in that in that Midwest area out there for professional wrestling. So thank you for your time and uh, please join us again sometime down the road. Oh, I love you all so much. Thank you. And that is just from, from the bottom of my heart. And I kind of, one more question. Is any of you going to go to Waterloo? 
Are you all going? Are you going to be in Waterloo? I'm going. Okay. I, going? I, I'm going to make my first trip. I'm going to go. I've never, awesome. I didn't get to go. When dad well, was you'll conducted. see your dad's plaque on the wall there. And it, it's an inspiring thing. It really is. Thank you so much. I love you all.